Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. It's the podcast where I speak to bands and artists about how they make it all work and their attitudes behind what they do. I was at ATG last week. I was there on the Wednesday night and got to see Scalping and Conjurer and also Pupil Slicer, who are absolutely incredible. I'm so into their record, Blossom, that came out earlier this year. And the day after, on the Thursday morning, quite early in the morning at 10 a.m., after we'd had our coffees and our crisps, I spoke with Kate on stage with a live audience about everything pupil slicer so this is the episode from then thank you so much for listening atg was such a blast for my short time down there i'm looking forward to going next year the people the bands the feeling it was such a great time it was such a great energy and i really really loved it so if you're thinking about going to atg next year tickets are available now all info on that at arctangent.co.uk all right, here's me and Kate from Pupil Slicer, live from ATG on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Cheers for listening. Check, 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 check. Hello, good morning. How's everyone doing? My name's Giles. I do a show, a podcast called 101 Part-Time Jobs. Uh, where I interview bands. I interview bands about their music, but also about the way they're able to do it, because it's no secret that bands have to work three jobs on the side, quit those jobs or get fired to go on tour, come back from that tour where we've been enjoying it, and then get another job, and then keep on writing the next record. So that was... I was in a band throughout my 20s, and like I never got the hang of it. I always kind of disliked myself when I got back. But I realized sort of the other side of that is storytelling, it's sharing, um, and hopefully people, you know, get something out of it. And I ask about the music. So that's 101 Part-Time Jobs. Thank you so much for coming. I'm very excited that we're gonna do today's live episode with Kate from Pupil Slicer. Can you give a warm welcome, please, to Kate? Hello. Yeah. Who saw Pupil Slicer last night? How fucking good was that? You enjoy it, Kate? Yeah, it was good. Arctangent's always a really good one. Um, last year's Arctangent was my, fa- my favourite show we've done. Last night was really good as well. Uh, thank you all for coming. Hope you enjoyed it. And we were saying just now down there that it's a Wednesday at like six o'clock. What were you expecting? Not much. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't be going hard on a Wednesday at six. So I don't know. Thank you for going hard. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, tell me about the background of Pupil Slicer. When you formed, kind of what year, what you were thinking when, you know, what kind of music you wanted to sound like when you started. Where was your, what was your headspace at when you started the band? So... I met Josh when I joined, uh, I went online and I, on joinmyband.com 
and I said, I want to be in a band like Converge and Death Heaven. Uh, and then I joined this post-black metal band uh, with Josh, our drummer. Um, and uh, me and the bassist from that band uh, had some grindcore riffs that didn't quite fit. And we ended up writing a whole EP over a weekend as like, we thought it'd be funny while we were watching James May disassemble a lawnmower on TV while writing the riffs. Um, uh, and then we were like, oh, we need a drummer now. So we got Josh to do the drums. And then shortly after, that guy quit. Um, so we ended up, um, me and Josh just had the band and we were getting gigs because we had a funny name because Pupersize was the stupidest name I could think of. Great so I was like, well, we got a band. I've got a drummer who's amazing. Uh, what do we like? And I'm like, well, I originally wanted to do like mathcore stuff like Dillinger and Converge with a bit of Death Heaven in there. And then, um, uh, so, I forgot where I was going. <laughs> You're writing riffs watching yeah, games we write, on TV. So, yeah, we had these riffs, and at the moment, like, right at that time, writing with our current bass, our old bassist, uh, the guy I was writing with originally, um, it was all very sort of carcassy death grind, which I like, but it wasn't weird enough. So, yeah, me and Josh just started jamming. Uh, I think one of the first songs we wrote was Wounds Upon My Skin. We were playing that for, like, four years before... Um, Mirrors came out, uh, and we just sort of amassed this collection of songs, um, and then ended up with Mirrors um, over a very long stretch of time, over like four years. Um, and then uh, we were just playing like DIY gigs to like, I mean, before the pandemic, the most people we'd ever paid to was like 50, and to us, we were like, oh, this is mint. This is like, it doesn't get better than this. Yeah. Like, we had maybe like three pits ever at our shows before the pandemic, despite us playing. We were one of those bands that played London like twice a month, every month. Um, and was that, did you ever fall into the trap of pay-to-play shows or any of those? Thankfully, we didn't go for any of the pay-to-plays, but we definitely like, when we got paid like 20 quid to pay a show, we were like, oh, yes. <laughs> Despite it costing like 35 quid each on trains, however much, like 18 quid for a set of strings each for the gig. Like we were taking it seriously from the start. We were like, well, we're not going to play on rusty old strings. We have to like fresh strings so you're sounding good. Like we were trying to give the best show possible, even if, you know, it wasn't, um, we weren't getting anything back for it. Um, Where do you think that mindset came from of being like, if we're going to do this, let's be fucking great? Did that come from years playing bands, playing in bands before that? Well, no, because my first band was the band with Josh before Slicer. We played one gig at the Black Car in London uh, to the band we were opening for and the promoter. Uh, but those six people were like, oh man, those are some sick riffs, good stuff. <laughs> and I look back at the videos and it's literally just me standing there perfectly still staring at the guitar, playing the whole set. Um, and then uh, Slicer sort of went on hiatus for a bit when um, 
the original bassist quit and I joined a post-black metal, not post-black metal, a black and death band called Sufferer. Um, that was sort of more like Cannibal Corpse and Morbid Angel and like Behemoth mixed up. And that was fun. Uh, I played some gigs with them and they always went way better than the Slicer gigs when we got those at the start because like, they had a little bit of a following. We played the Unicorn and had like stage divers and stuff and I was like, right, now the aim is get stage divers for Slicer. Uh, transfer that energy over. Um, and yeah, I left that when Slicer started uh, picking up again. And then we started getting gigs. I think the last gig we played before the pandemic was opening for Death Goals at their... They're playing here on Saturday, I think. I don't know. Uh, but they've been besties for life. Like Our first ever gig, we played with Death Goals. Uh, and it was one of these random bills where you apply online to play a gig. Uh, and that it was us, a shoegaze band, an indie rock band, and Death Girls. And Death Girls popped off hard for our Converge cover. Because um, we were playing Concubine in the set at the time. Um, and then we did the split with them. And then we finished up Mirrors. And with Mirrors, we were like, we want this to sound as good as possible. I mean, we were friends with the people at Mathcore Index from putting out the EP. Um... And they were always really supportive. So for Mirrors, we really wanted it to be, like, sounding good. And, you know, it's hard to do that. We all pulled our resources together. I think we spent, like, three grand making that album between us over the course of a year. We had nothing. We like, no experience. We recorded the drums in, like, February 2018. Then I did the guitars in, like, June at home, DI. Um... Luke, our bassist, did the bass at his house with a friend engineering it, like recording it into a laptop. And then I went to a local studio we were friends with to do the vocals for that album. And then um, we got Ped from Frontier to mix it because uh, I was a massive fan of them. I'd been to like loads of their gigs uh, and met him and bit, was like, you make your music, can you make our music? <laughs> uh, you don't produce it for us because... You sound really good. Um, and he was always well up for it, but on the EP it was way too expensive, so on the album we actually went through with it and got him to mix it. Um, and that was... We were really happy with that album when it came out, uh, when we got it together. We were sitting on it for like 18 months before it came out, and we just sent it out to labels. Um, we were sending it out to loads of labels, and I thought, like... I was just lying in bed and I was like, oh, Prosthetic have some cool bands, I'll send it to them. And they literally replied in a day and were like, oh, this is sick, yeah, sure. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then we were on a label and they put it out, it was just luck. I think putting Ped at the start of the email helped because uh, Steve at Prosthetic was like, oh, I love Frontier and they won't let us sign them, <laughs> so we'll sign you. Um, but yeah, it sort of went from there and then the album came out and we sort of, it sort of got outside the target audience of nerds or mathcore index. Like, we were hoping, like, those 3,000 people would listen to it and we'd be like, yeah, sick. Uh, and then, like, 80,000 people watched the Wounds video in, like, two weeks and we were like, what? Um, and people seemed to like that album, which is cool. And then the pressure was sort of on for the second one. Um, but it sort of, we felt a lot more confident then, because on the first album we were like, just writing 
we were writing what we wanted, but also I was like, I have to make sure it sounds close enough to like Dillinger or Converge for people to like it. Because people like those bands. I don't know if they like us. So there's some stuff on it that's more original, some stuff that's a bit more like, oh, this is a song that sounds like an employed to serve song or a Dillinger song or something like that. Um, yeah. Also, the first, I managed, we managed to con our way onto opening for a Frontier gig. Um, so I'd met Ped once, and then the second time they were coming to London, they put a poll on the gig thing saying, who should open this? And everyone had voted for Employed to Serve, rightfully, because they'd be a good band to open it. So I messaged everyone I knew on Facebook and uh, asked them all to vote for us, and they did. So we won the poll, and yes. this unknown band with one EP out that sounded like Carcass. And uh, then none of those people that voted came to the gig. Uh, <laughs> so we got to play it, and uh, everyone was really nice. And that was a crazy moment, because like, Sammy and Justine from Employed to Serve ended up coming to the gig. They were standing in the front row, getting hype about our Converge cover as well. And we were like, this is wicked. Um, but yeah, coming back after the pandemic, I think we played a headline show in Sheffield as our first show back. And like 100 people came and it sold out. And that was the biggest audience we'd ever had. And that was crazy. Um, and then like a week later, we went on tour with Rolo Tomasi, which is our, Josh, our drummer's favorite band. Uh, so he was like, oh, cool. I've completed music. Yeah. <laughs> like, we've done the like the pipe dream <laughs> and then my pipe dream was to play Art Tangent because it was my favourite festival Yeah. and then we got Art Tangent that summer um, we played with End which is insane I love End uh, we played with Godflesh in Glasgow and now I'm like just mates with Justin and text him and I'm like this is <laughs> kind of weird um, nice and uh, like everyone in the scene is so nice and they've all been really supportive um, we played like we just got off like well two months ago three months ago we did a three to four week tour with Boris throughout Europe and the UK amazing like they're one of my favourite bands one of the first records I ever bought was a Boris record I saw Boris here in like 2018 or something the year where it was Converge as well um Boris was also one of the first gigs me and Josh, our drummer, went to together. So that was a cool... Like, every gig we're getting is like, oh, cool, this is this lifelong band we've loved. Like, I'm mates with the guys in Health now, and I'm like... I've listened to Health since I was 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. Uh, and they're just like, cool, what up? Uh, I, I think know. it can be... When, you want, when you're, like, aiming to play those kinds of shows it might seem quite intimidating. Yeah. And then when you meet those people in real life, yeah. more often than not, it's a positive experience. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's sort of taken the luster off, like, when you're a fan on the outside, you're like, you can idolise people a lot more. And then when you start playing gigs, you're just like, everyone's just people just chilling and, like, they're doing the same thing you are and it sort of takes away the magic a bit, but... Then, then you get to be friends with them and hang out and stuff. So, it's, it's still cool. Like, um, oh, what was I gonna say about? Oh, I had something good. I forgot it. 
Well, you know, talking about all of that, that's a lot to think about. You talk about writing the first record or recording it over like 10 months or a year. That's a lot of brain work. That's a lot of spinning plates. Does that come naturally to you, to you do you think? That element of like staying on it, staying focused, staying excited to do it and like wanting to do it kind of more than anything else really? I think the... We're really excited about the music. I think the issue with Mirrors was sitting on it for so long that by the time it came out, I was like, oh, this album isn't any good. I like the new stuff I'm writing. And that, that was the stuff on Blossom. Uh, so with Blossom, I intentionally like... I mean, it was a lot quicker turnaround. We recorded Blossom in a month, all in like one go uh, at the ranch with Lewis Johns. Yeah. Um, and then it was mastered within like two months from that and then it came out like five months later and I tried not to listen to it too much so I'd still be excited so I'm still excited about that album um, I'm really happy with it what amazing. we achieved on it yeah like there was a couple of issues with the first one just because of the way we did it all split up like we sent the DI guitars off to Ped and then it would have to be like Ped would have to have time to make a guitar tone and send that back and then if you gave feedback you'd have to wait a couple more days for that get sent back and check it, whereas if you're in the studio with someone, it's sort of like, you can just play with the tones, get the tone sounding good, and yeah. then you're just yeah. good to go. Um, what was the lead up to, like, well, writing Blossom and the, the lead up to recording it, was that quite an intense process? Oh yeah, yeah, it was super intense. Uh, I was still working on the album until like a week before we got to the studio, so we didn't have a lot of time to be like, practicing it before we, uh, recorded it which uh, maybe wasn't ideal like I mean Lewis gave me the accolade of the longest time taken to record rhythm guitar on a song ever at his studio which was a day and a half for creating the devil in our image but that is a hard song how like, long did it take a day and a half yeah um but you know the the hard songs but I always followed the school of like write the music you want to write regardless if you can play it or anything else like or if it's playable live like just just stick like four layers of guitar on it's fine make it sound as good as possible you can alter it for live but i would rather make the best um possible thing in the studio like we had nothing no idea how to do click and backing tracks and any of that but i was like yeah chuck a load of synths in i've got all these ideas it's gonna be great and now we've had to learn to do that live because of it. And it sort of forces you to progress, like having to arrange the guitar parts. There's parts on the album where there are like four guitar parts going at once and like having to condense that down uh, and get the main ideas across from the album. Um, and then just drilling practice to play it live because like it's one thing being like, you know, I'll admit it, we were recording stuff on the album like two bars at a time at times. Like, there were some songs where you just go through it. There's some parts where it's just like insanity and you want it all to sound bang on. Mm. So it's just like, record a bar. We got that little... Uh, and then, you know, there you go, piece it together. And then when it comes to playing it live, it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on the live side, I feel like there's an element of growing in public you know, you're learning the, to play the parts in public and you're always kind of getting better at it. 
Is that something that you're, 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 like, you're happy with, you're comfortable with? I think anyone playing in a band, like you're growing in public, right? Those songs change over time. I mean, we try not to do the learning in front of people. We try to do that at home before we get on the stage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the songs do get tighter over time. Like, um, there is an element of that. Um, but we try to have it at a certain standard. We told ourselves, like, we'd be pleased with listening to that back before we play it live because we don't want to be sort of just slapping something out. Like, I mean, we had a bad experience with that. Like, I think we tried to squeeze in no tempo and momentary into a set before we were quite ready um, near the start of the year. And it just, like, it was sloppy. It, it wasn't working. So now we're like, if we're getting new songs in, uh, all learn them properly, like, mm. get knuckle down. And then we get to practice. Uh, I mean, we rehearse. Like, if there's a gig coming up, which there's always a gig coming up, we usually rehearse, like, once a week, once every two weeks for, like, three hours, run through the set multiple times, work on everything we're struggling with. You know, we've got all the strats. We've got the, like, record it, look back, see what was mistake, where the mistakes were and work on those parts. Um, yeah. The glamorous life of like playing hardcore is sitting around going, oh, that feel's not coming out as tight as I want it. Or like this vocal sliding out of time with this thing. Like it's also another thing learning to play the, sing the vocals and play the songs at the same time. It's like yeah. rubbing, rubbing your stomach and patting your head. It's, <laughs> that's the hardest part for me because uh, I never write the vocals with any um, plan of how I'm going to sing it and play it. And then I'll get a riff where I'm like, oh, these are really easy vocal parts and a really easy riff. And then realize I've made them incredibly syncopated and like completely out of time with each other to create a cool rhythm. But now I have to do both the rhythms at the same time and then it's horrible. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I just drill it over and over until it works. So, you know, smash your head into a wall enough times. <laughs> you break the wall, right? <laughs> <laughs> I asked you earlier when we first met this morning, I said what you know, the, the podcast is about and it's about that sort of work-life balance of playing music and you very quickly said, well, this conversation is going to be short then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to make it work. Um, I mean, I, so I quit my job in like March and for the lead up to the thing, uh, to the album launch, but... Not because we're making any money. We're still losing money. I just like had enough saved up for this year to sort of coast on. Because I was like, I want this album released to be the best possible. Because um, I was working on getting the art sorted, getting the merch sorted. Um, I did all the design on the inside of the record and like all the text on it. Um, doing all this like social media at the time. Um, it's a lot of work and still like... You know, finding time to even, like, write music at the moment is, like, you, when you're in a band trying to make it work full-time and, like... Because, you know, I, I was under the... I was trying... I'm, like, putting all my eggs in one basket and being, like, if I grind really hard on the band, if we be the best possible version of ourselves we can be, that's going to, like, help us get to a point where, like, we get more fans, mm -hmm. people will buy more merch... We'll get better show fees, bigger places will book us. And then hopefully 
we can actually do the band because it's really hard to manage it. Like everyone else in the band is working full time as well, on top of like grinding practice every day for hours. You know, it's it. Last year we didn't have like, I think we had like one holiday day each off our jobs that wasn't playing a gig, which is basically another job. Like when you're doing so many and like at such a high production level value, it's like. It's it's work. It's it's hard work. There's a lot of prepping. You got to do the logistics of like where are we staying? How are we, are we flying? Are we driving? Who are we hiring a van from? Where are we staying? Are we going with this hostel or this hostel? Yeah. What are we having for breakfast? Yeah. Is it's so boring behind the scenes? Like it's not glamorous. There's no TVs going out of windows. There's me going to bed at ten fifteen with a nice cup of tea and. Uh, having to do like the steamer for your voice to like relax it so it doesn't get blown yeah. i managed to make it through that boris tour which was like 24 shows with two days off or something without losing my voice i was really pleased with that but it's just being really careful not talking too much having your vocal zones and your tea for your voice and mm-hmm. you know it's there's a lot of stuff to think about that you don't think about and I feel like because we sort of skyrocketed in terms of like going from a DIY band playing to 50 people to like the second thing back was the Rolo tour and that ended in a thousand people in London and that was insane. Uh, But because of that, we're sort of a bit behind the curve of like how you tour Mm. because that was our first ever tour. (laughs) Um, And I guess at this point we've done like five tours. So we've been, you know, we're trying our best. It's hard work to, like, learn this stuff. We're learning on the job. Yeah, trial and error. Trial and error. Yeah, there's so many things you just, you don't think about. Yeah. I can't think of any of those things at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) What is a sustainable... Look, we're all here because we love music. We're all here because we love bands and we like either buying records or going to gigs or both. Like, that says to me there is a potential economy for everyone to exist in, for bands to get paid, for promoters to exist, uh, for us to be able to, be, to put money in that economy as fans. Is that what a sustainable future for alternative mu- music looks like? Is it having independent labels where bands, or sorry, fans can buy directly from the label and the band? Because, like... It sucks to say, but it's just so bleeding obvious. It's like everyone needs like money. So how do we keep on making this money go around for everyone? And to me, that's independent culture. It's independent promoters, independent venues, independent festivals, independent labels. Is that right? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think the biggest blow is like, I mean, everyone harps on about it, but like streaming services should give artists some money Mm. like we've got a million streams on mirrors we've got half a million streams on blossom already i think from like spotify we've gotten like a total of 500 quid (laughs) and if out of those million listeners the listeners listen to it five times if if you put those down to individual people and they bought even if it was a seven inch or a single, you'd be rich. <laughs> yeah, we'd be able to do it. Like, 
it's a lot of money doing this. Like, especially when you're trying to like, we bought a backdrop to, for like download festival. That that shit costs like a grand. But it's cool. It means, but you need to do that for a festival like that because there's so many bands playing. There's so many people that have never heard of you at something like Download. You need a sign behind you saying this is who we are because people are going to go. I really liked that band. Can't remember their name. Can't remember when they were on. And yeah. then you're gone. Yeah. So you need to have something. Um, that's why I put a lot of effort into designing the merch as well because I feel like you want merch where someone's and like we printed all our shirts on like. For, for the album launch merch, we printed all on really fancy stuff because I was like, I would rather someone buy this. We make less money, but they wear it all the time because it's super comfy and yeah. really cool design. Yeah. And then if, if that's the case, then they might buy more stuff later. And it's just like all these things you have to think about. Like We could just be printing everything on like the cheapest G- Gildan shirts. Everyone's got too many Gildan shirts. I don't want a Gildan shirt. Look uh, at that super soft. Yeah. Uh, get that canvas, Bella canvas, or I don't know. I asked everyone what the best ones were in Pipton, but I can't remember what they were. Patagonia, some like pupil slicer. eco fucking, I don't know. Can I swear? At yeah. like 11 in the morning? Big time. <laughs> Here you can. Yeah. But, you know. You've got to give yourself the best chance, don't you? Whether that's having a backdrop so people remember yeah. your name. Or having that record sound as good or as yeah. mixed, as mastered, as good I as mean, you want. I mean, we had to spend, we still had to spend, like, we're on a label. We still had to spend eight grand ourselves to make this album and a grand on the art. So, like, that was a massive dent and it was the biggest investment we've made in this band. Mm. Uh, but it was like, we can't fuck this up. It's a second album. We're really confident in the songs. We want it to sound as good as possible. Um, and we were really happy with how it sounded in the end. It was worth it, but we're not seeing that money back. So <laughs> it's sort of be like that. Future-proofing. It's future-proofing. It's hope. It's investing in your own future, yeah. I guess, as a band. We want to do the band. We want to continue to make music people really enjoy. And it's hard to do that. when, like, I haven't had a chance to really do much writing in like the last year at all. Um, but I've been trying to do more. I've been trying to like do less social media just so I can actually have time to like. And thankfully, like uh, Luke and his wife have been um, helping out on that, um, which is really appreciated. And yeah. in the meantime, I've like I've done a bit of writing. I've got a couple songs cooking. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's really hard to find time to do that when like everything else is like there's interviews here. Not there's anything wrong with interviews. Uh, there's, there's interviews. There's writing press bios. There's like making assets for the playlisting. There's there's so much behind the scenes that you know. It's, it's basically what I'm saying is it's all really hard. <laughs> but we're trucking on. As long as people enjoy the music and come out and see us. We really appreciate that. That's it. I mean, thank you to anyone who's even listened to us for a single note. Um, it's cool. Like, that's the reason we do it. I mean, the original reason was making music for us because we make the music we enjoy. And I was like, there's nothing that sounds like Oathbreaker anymore, so I'm going to write an Oathbreaker song on the new album. And I did. Uh, 
and I, I love that song. Um, and I think we're going to keep that ethos because it just seems to be that, like, luckily, a lot of other people like the same stuff I like, so we end up with music that people like. So I hope people keep liking it, even if we go on more weird tangents. Like, it was a big risk with Blossom. We had, like, songs, loads more clean vocals, loads more post-rock, electronic elements, uh, shoegaze. And um, when the first album was so straight up, just, like, metallic hardcore. Um, that doesn't mean we're not going to do more metallic hardcore. Um, it's just sort of open the boundaries a bit. Yeah. Well, we can safely say that we appreciate all the hard work, can't we? Thank you. Last night on stage, you said Arc Tangent was the first festival that you came to. Yeah, um, I came. So I didn't get into music until I was like. 18 I didn't like to start listening to a lot of stuff um, and then the first festival I ever went to was the year where it was Deaf Heaven uh, Dillinger Escape Plan, Colt Luna, Rolo Tomasi, loads of others and I'd never seen any of them and I was just like cool <laughs> I'm seeing Dillinger and that was like one of the that's where I got into Colt of Luna actually I heard them playing um, Dead City Dark Man, whatever. The long song from the end of Somewhere Along the Highway. They were playing that one at the, uh, in the distance, and I was like getting some pizza. And I was like, this is a riff. <laughs> and then I went over and watched them, and they were like the best band I saw that weekend. But yeah, I saw, also saw Deaf Heaven, and then I saw Deaf Heaven again two days later in London. Um, Quality. You know, I do like a bit of my Deaf Heaven and Dillinger if it doesn't show from us having a math core slash black gaze infused album. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you mentioned earlier, so sorry if I'm putting you in it, but you went to a couple of Deaf Heaven shows. Oh, yeah, I followed them around the country when they were touring um, <laughs> New Bermuda. I went right. to, like, Bristol and Manchester and London and was just, like, seeing them every night. And then one night I got, like, my thing of, like, seeing people as an idol, which I was chatting with them outside, and then, like... Shiv, uh, the guitarist, just bought me loads of shots until I threw up. Because <laughs> he was just hanging around after the bag. And then I just stayed, because I had a coach home at four in the morning. And I was just sitting in the bar with them. And then they all left to go back to the hotel. So I was just sitting with the bar staff playing Go Fish until like three or four <laughs> uh, in Bristol uh, at the Fleece. Well, we've played now. Um, but yeah, it's, it was, uh, that was surreal for me. That was like, being with my heroes I haven't actually talked to them since we're a band I don't know if they know about us but maybe I'll find out yeah you've got to message them oh they're here there we go so there we go say hi yeah I had a similar like I was sort of I got used to sort of talking to people when we played with like Godflesh and End and Rolo Tomasi and like I sort of got used to things um, a little bit and then at Damnation last year where we were playing um, Converge were there and like Converge were like with, in my top three bands ever with like Def Heaven, uh, Converge and uh, Dillinger and I guess Nine Inch Nails would make it top four. Um, but Converge were just there and Becky, our publicist, was sat in their dressing room and she was like, oh, come and say, come and say hi to Kurt. And I was like, that's Kurt from Converge. I can't say hi to him. Um, and I came in and that was the first time since we like started doing the band seriously. I was just like, 
hi, I really like your band. <laughs> and I was, that was like, all I, I've, I've got a band too. And he was like, oh, oh cool, what does it sound like? And I was like, it sounds like you. <laughs> Great. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. Also, at Damnation, uh, Dylan from Full of Hell came up to me and was like, oh, you're Kate from Pupil Slicer. And I just couldn't say anything. So I was like, you're Dylan from Full of Hell. And I've seen you like seven times and like half my riffs are ripping off you as well. <laughs> so, you know, it's a weird one. Sometimes I think, yeah, I'm fine with just like bumping into people. I'm used to it. And then it's someone who like I've been a fan of for years and I'm like, I'm not used to it. I can't handle this. Great. Kate, thank you so much for, for doing this. It's, I've got one last question, which is, uh, what are you looking forward to doing? What, what's, in the, what's in the pipeline for People Slicer? Watching Chat Pile. <laughs> Great record. Thank you so much. This has been ace. I do 101 part-time jobs podcast. That's where this will be. Episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. And mind out for the spicy chili. Really spicy. Thanks. Kate from Pupil Slicer. So there was Kate from Pupil Slicer recorded at ATG. Kate's first ever festival as a punter. Pupil Slicer had ripped it up the night before. I feel very lucky to have got to do that chat. So thank you for joining me and listening to that. I very, very much appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, leave a five-star rating. That stuff is a bit superficial, but it really helps the podcast, really helps me when I'm approaching new guests. So by leaving a review, by giving it a five-star rating, you can personally have an impact on me keeping this show up to scratch. So cheers and see you later on for this week with new episodes with Slaughter Beach Dog, His Golden Messenger. Although if you're into Pupil Slicer, I'm not sure you'll be into so much folk rock. But hey, I'm into everything. I'm sure there's lots of you out there like that. See you then. Bye. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.